Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. The Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, for righteousness, that the man of God could be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. We want to understand the world around us by the Scriptures and how we're supposed to live through the scriptures. The first question that we have today comes from a question that was at the end of last t- of the end of our Q&A on uh, last Saturday. And the question was about faith and works and the difference between faith and works and then added to a little bit later on which showed a confusion between what faith and works are. Uh, so works follow salvation. We are not saved by works. Works are not the the means by which we are saved. They are the manifestation that show us that we have been saved. I actually want to change over here. I think it's 1 John 2, 3 that I want to start with here. So you come to, to Christ by faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We're saved by the grace of God. He did all of the work. It's his grace. I can't be saved. I can't do anything to be saved. I can do no work to be saved. Saved by grace, through faith. I put my faith in him by believing what he says so that I'm now trusting what he says by putting my faith in him, which leads automatically to works following because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so your works follow. By this, you know that you are a Christian because you're doing the things that God told you to do. So take a look at this passage here. This is 1 John 2, 3. By this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, one of the questions that we get a lot on our Q&A is, how do I know that I am a genuine Christian? How do I know I really have had saving faith? And it comes down to, do you do the things that God's asking you to do? If you say, I'm a Christian, I love him, I'm spiritual, I invite him into my life, I go to church, but I don't want to do what he wants me to do. I'm living my own life, I'm doing my own thing. Then you, by your own admission, have shown that you don't have the works that evidence your salvation. And I always tell someone in that situation, I don't want to judge you and say that you're not saved, but I certainly cannot confirm that. But when I see someone who says, I love the Lord, I follow him, I serve him, uh, I don't always do what he wants me to do, I need his forgiveness and grace, but I do his commandments. I'm living my life for him. I want to know what does he say, what does he want me to do. Now I know that I am saved by that. Fruit, on the other hand, so the question was the difference between fruit and works. Fruit, on the other hand, is something that happens naturally. When a tree, an apple tree, is watered and pruned and taken care of well, it produces apples. It doesn't work to produce them. It's what an apple tree does. And so we have the fruit of the Spirit, the spirits in our lives, and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, is the result of walking in the Spirit or being born again. Having Christ inside of us is the fruit works come out of that. Now, to get a better idea of what we mean by works, uh, I want to go to James chapter 2. And here I think in around verse 14, he starts talking about 
Abraham and works. And this is often confused, and I want to go through this slowly, because when you go through it slowly and you get just in context, you can see clearly what it says. Uh, verse 14 says, what does it profit a brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? You're saved by faith, but now you're not doing, so he's saying the same thing that John said in 1 John 2, 3, if you say, I love him, but you don't keep his commandments, then there's no evidence that you've really made a commitment to Christ. And so he says here, what does it profit you if you have faith, but you, um, but that does not have works? Can faith save him? Now, the answer is yes, faith does save, but works is the demonstration of that salvation. If a brother or sister is naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, depart, be warm, be filled, but do not give him the things which he has needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith itself does not, uh, if, it, if it does not have works, is dead. So he's just saying, if you got faith and it doesn't produce anything in your life, then that faith is dead. He's not saying that works save you. He's just saying works become a demonstration of that. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. So he's now saying that faith is revealed by the works that you have. You believe there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble, but do you want to know, O foolish man, faith without works is dead. So again, faith is the demonstrate, works are the demonstration that you have faith in your life. Was not our father Abraham justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his own son? He was made righteous by believing God. He believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. The works revealed that he had been justified. It goes on to say in verse 22, do you not see that faith was working together with works? And by the works, by, and by works, faith was made perfect. So he's revealing what he's saying when he says that faith, that you're saved by works, that works is the demonstration of faith. You've got to read it in context. This is what people, cults do all the time. They want to add some work to salvation or those who believe in a baptismal regeneration or some other works to save you, speaking in tongues. They'll come and they'll use this passage. They'll take that one passage out of context. Do you not see that faith working? No, they, they go before that. Um, verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And they'll leave that alone. But if you read that out of context, you go, wow, well, that is saying he's justified by works. But then he says, do you see that faith with uh, was working with uh, together? Where am I at now? Okay. Um, do you see that faith was working with works? And by works, faith was made perfect. So the faith was there first, first and works were made perfect. But works are necessary to show you your faith. So he said that he was justified by works because it was a revelation of his faith and had nothing to do with, with being saved by works. That is a heresy. Now, if you want to study this more and you have more questions, we can go to Romans 4 and we can read the longer section in Romans 4 that even makes this more clear. But it goes on to say here, um, and scripture was fulfilled, which said Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So he's not saying you're not saved by faith. He just said it there. You believe God and it was accounted as righteousness. That's, that's how he, it was accounted to him as righteous. But the works showed that he had real genuine faith and therefore he says that he was justified by works. So faith and works work together. Faith saving you, works being the manifestation of that faith. And that 
is not my own thoughts on that. That is a quote by John MacArthur, which I don't quote very often, but John MacArthur says, salvation comes by faith, works are the manifestation of that salvation. And that's what James, that in a nutshell, is what James is talking about here in chapter 2. Now, as I said, there seemed to be some confusion because later on, the same person asked a question, can I be mean to someone as, as long as I'm not sinning against God? And that just tells me there's a lot of confusion here. Because I demonstrate my love for God by loving people around me. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that's going to reveal that I have that real and genuine uh, relationship with Christ. So uh, to say I'm going to be mean to people, but I'm going to love God is not what the Christian life is all about. You love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. You demonstrate the love you have for God by the love that you have for your neighbor. So you can't say, it's okay for me to be mean to people as long as I love God. The being mean to people creates real, hard, genuine problems. All right? So um, faith is something that we are saved by when we put our trust in God. Um, works are the result of that faith. We are created for, we are his His workmanship created for good works in Christ, and fruit comes out of our lives as we walk with him and walk in the Spirit, uh, we see those fruits in our lives. So hopefully uh, that is helpful. It's good to see you guys here uh, joining us for our Q&A. Uh, this is a supplement to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of Tucson. Uh, so if you have a question about our studies last Saturday, we were in the book of Acts and uh, we were talking about the, the first miracle that we see there and what we learn from miracles and how Paul bounced off of that into a sermon um, that where he talked about the, 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 the things that God does. And um, last week, we were also talking about the seven spirits on Wednesday night. If you have any questions about any of those studies, then please go ahead and put in your questions. You can also put in any question, though, that you want to put in. Apologetics, the Bible, difficulties in the Bible, a struggle you're having in your own personal life, clarity on certain passages. We'll cover all of those things. Just write the word question down and then write out your question as clear as you can, add the references. We can take time to look up the references and answer your question as clearly as we can. Uh, we'll be here uh, almost for another hour, so you've got time to, to, to take your time, write in your question clearly, reread it, make sure you understand it. Because sometimes when I read the questions, I just can't, can't um, understand exactly what hap is happening. Um, and um, amen, Justin True. Just a little prayer there. Fill us with the earnest desire to draw near to you and to understand your word. Give us each understanding as you see the need individually to fulfill our role of your will in our lives. Amen. Good prayer. I like that. Um, may God really bless the time uh, that we are here together. All right. So um, we have a question from Pokey. Uh, good to see you, Pokey. Good to have you here with us. Pokey says, um, Robert, will the Antichrist image be AI? Um, so AI has kind of taken off, right? With GPT-4, AI has really taken off what it can do. 
and uh, Elon Musk, who seems to be a visionary, has stated that AI is going to change the nature of jobs. That a lot of jobs are going to be how to prompt AI to get what you need from it. So, um, the, for example, you aren't going to need a lot of coders anymore. You got a software company. You're going to need people who know how to prompt AI to be able to write the codes that you want to be written. And that over time, the codes are probably going to be much better. But just like, um, just like a while ago, when about 150 years ago, you had people that they started to work in factories and you had people that were standing, putting everything together and tightening wrenches. And then things changed to robots being used in assembly lines instead of people. But there were jobs in taking care of the robots on assembly lines and making sure the robots were programmed to do whatever it was that they needed to do. So the jobs changed. So AI uh, is going to change a lot of things. Uh, I saw a guy write a sermon, then put in the parameters of his sermon into uh, uh, GPT-4, and then it wrote two sermons, and then he read all three of them, gave it a, a time parameter, three or four minutes, read all three of them, and um, I like the one that the computer, that the AI wrote better than the one that the human wrote. So um, I don't think pastors are going to be out of jobs by any means, um, but, we, but the information age is just going to continue to go. So the question um, is that when the, when the false prophet gives power to the Antichrist to be able to speak in the temple of God, which tells us there's going to be a rebuilt temple, which is a little bit of a teaser for our service tonight. We're going to be talking about the temple, the tribulation period temple, um, and uh, we see it come up in our study in the book of uh, Revelation. Um, so, it, it would not be as much, it will not be as much, it seems to me that the image speaking now will not be as, as uh, much of a sign or wonder as we thought at first. It, we we kind of saw the image speaking and people going in to worship the image but it may be now that the image is programmed with responses from AI that would respond like the Antichrist could respond. So that you could go in and get information that you want from, uh, from the Antichrist. I'm not saying GPT-4 is the Antichrist, okay? I'm just seeing a way in which this could be used. And I'm going to go with it's a possibility because, look, when credit cards first came out, people thought they were the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast. Um, when um, Q, uh, QR codes came out, they thought they were the Mark of the Beast. Um, when chips came out to put in animals that were going to be lost, people thought they were the Mark of the Beast. Uh, we don't know how much more uh, knowledge is going to increase. The Bible says in the book of, um, of Daniel, seal these things up until the time of the end. Men are going to go to and fro on the earth and knowledge is going to increase. And we're seeing knowledge increase at to such an incredible rate today. It really and truly is an exciting time to be ministering for Christ, to be learning and growing, because in the information age, we're able to really learn and grow. And I can tell you that a lot of things that have been misused, mistaught within churches are being called out now because of the information age that we're living in. 
We have to make sure the things we're sharing are correct and proper, and that's only a good thing because it's going to take away arguments for people when weird stuff comes up that people have been misusing. All right, so um, we have a question from Fact Check These Hands. Fact Check These Hands has a follow-up from our last video, 2 Thessalonians 2, um, 10 through 12 was a verse used to say that those who hear the gospel before the rapture uh, don't accept Christ, okay? Cannot be saved because they're on the road to destruction. All right, well, that's a, yeah, let me get there. Thank you. Fact check these hands for looking for that verse. Second Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12. I'm going to take it off the screen, but I've still got it up here. I can see it. Just so you know, when I take it off the screen, doesn't mean I can't see your, your, uh, um, your questions anymore there, right there. I'm able to look right there at them and see your question. Uh, so we're looking for 2 Thessalonians. I increased the font size on my phone so I could see it better. And I'm telling you, it is huge now. Way too big. I gotta, I gotta, re I gotta fix it. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're gonna go to verse 10. And I'm gonna put this up on the screen for you. And we are looking at this with the question about, um, where's 10? There it is. Okay. Well, uh, the question was, if someone rejects Christ before um, the rapture, then the rapture happens and the, anti and, and the tribulation period starts. And now somebody has already rejected Christ. Can they still be saved? Are those days of grace closed to them? Uh, I'm going to, before I read this, and I might change my mind after I read it, right? But my understanding right now is there are so many people that get saved. In Revelation, there's all these people in white robes, and John is prompted, who are these people? This is Revelation 7 or 8. And um, John says, well, you know. And he says, these are the ones that called out of the great tribulation. So these are the ones who are getting saved. Now, maybe these are all people who didn't have a chance before or hadn't rejected Christ before, had never heard the message of the gospel and rejected it. So the question was, if someone rejects, now after the Christ comes for his church and the, the tribulation period has started, can they be saved? So verse 10, um, and meh, let's go back some. So this is talking about the Antichrist, right? Um, it says that the man of sin may be will be revealed. Um, well, let's just start in verse six. And no, um, <clears throat> and now you know what is restraining, and we believe that's the Holy Spirit within the church, that He may be revealed in His own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work; only in He who now restrains will do, and so until He is taken out of the way. And the, then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of His mouth and destroy with the brightness of His coming. Now the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, this is the Antichrist, with all power and signs and lying wonders through the false prophet, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. All right, so I can see how someone would take this verse and apply it to say that once someone made a commitment, they couldn't be saved. They're going to look at it and they're going to go, well, here where it says, um, where it says, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. So they didn't receive the love of the truth before, so now they're going to perish. I would say that's not the way this reads, and it's not the way it should be read. I would say we just read it the way it is, 
and with all un unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Meaning they're not receiving it. They're being deceived during the tribulation period. They're not receiving it and they're not being saved. Not because they didn't receive the love of the truth before, but they're not receiving the love of the truth now because they're deceived. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. So we're talking about who, who is it that, that the unrighteous deception works on? Those who perish. So it's all who perish, not just those who didn't believe before the tribulation period, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. That could have saved them from perishing if they received the love of the truth um, before they got saved. Okay, all right. So um, I just realized I didn't change my background uh, from uh, the... Uh, from my uh, uh, hot topic that I cut today. So we've got the nice little blue background, something different for uh, for this Q&A. All right. Um, so again, if you have a follow-up question on that, um, so I don't think that that verse is saying that. Um, in fact, check these hands. Uh, I think it's just saying that people don't receive uh, the love of the truth. So we have a question from Psych Man. Uh, back, back in town yet, Psych Man? So Psych Man says... Um, I live a more pure life before God than I ever have. Yet, I now feel more con uh, convicted and contrite. Is this normal? Maybe God does not, uh, does not despise this heart because it means progress. Yeah, psych man, um, you may have heard this said before. Uh, you may have heard someone say, the more I, I, I find out about God, the more I realize I don't know. The more I, I study the word of God, the more I realize I don't know. Uh, the more God works on the inner man, the more we realize and understand God's righteousness. It's kind of happening at the same time. My inner man's being renewed day by day, but my knowledge of God is growing. The knowledge of that in him is no shifting of shadows. That I feel every bit as inadequate today as I did the day I got saved and God began to use me. Or let's just go the, the day that I, 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 want, I, I gave myself to be used by God and felt incredibly inadequate because there were things that God had to get out of my life. There, there, was, it's just, there, was, there was a lot of arrogance he had to get out of, out of me. There was an, I had an arrogance and an argument. I would argue with people about things and I liked it. I liked to argue. And I hate to argue now. God had to get those things out of me and learn how to be gentle and kind and polite. Um, but the more God has begun to do those kind of things in my life and get other kind of self-seeking, my own desires, living for other people, I, I see that I still fall short in so many things. And, and I still feel inadequate. And I still find myself saying to him, thank you, Lord, for using me. Thank you that you continue to reveal to me the things that need to change. And I kind of think that will never change. And th that, you know, okay, so I've been following the Lord now for 45, 47 years, something along those lines. When, when it's 55 and 65, I think I'm going to feel the same way that you feel, psych man, is that even though my inner man is being renewed and God's doing things within me and I'm not the person I used to be, and God has gotten things out of my life, praise God. But I still find myself feeling inadequate because I know more about God and who he is. 
So I think it is normal. And I think it's good, by the way, psych man. I think it's good. It's good that we would know. If, if someone says, you know what, I've learned it all. I got it all figured out. That'll probably tell you that there's a real problem with that, per that person. Humility is one of those things that grows in our lives. And the more we, the more humble we become, the easier it is to recognize that lack of humility in our lives and, um, and, and doing things out of selfish ambition, things that we might not have thought were, were biggies. Like when I first got saved as a teenager, I got the biggies out of my life. I felt good. But then God began to show me there were a lot of other things that really needed to be taken care of. All right. So thank you, Psych Man. I appreciate that. Did we get a double question here from Pokey? I think we did. <clears throat> yeah, so I just got to show up here twice. Um, thank you, Psych Man. Um, hope you're back in town. Um, we have a question from Active Faith. Active Faith, welcome to Truth Quest Podcast Q&A. <clears throat> did God allow the witch of Endor to summon the prophet Samuel, or was it a demon that Saul was talking to? 1 Samuel 28, 7 through 20. What are your thoughts? Yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, so we know that you know the account, right? <clears throat> God stops talking to Saul. So Saul goes to a witch in Endor, which is not a moon, which is, you know, not the moon Endor uh, out of Star Wars. But it's a place where there was a witch, a, um, a person who talked to the dead. And she called up Samuel for him. He came disguised. And when she saw Samuel, she screamed and she said, you deceived me. And she suddenly knew who he was, which makes me think that it didn't probably work most of the time. That, that, that she now knows it's Saul because Samuel does show up. And I think it is Samuel. Um, as I look at the text and read through the text, I don't see anything that makes me think that this wouldn't be Samuel. And um, let's go there. So this is um, 1 Samuel 28, 7. All right. So like I said, my, my, uh, my font is just huge. You would think that that would make it easier to navigate, but it doesn't. Uh, it makes it a little bit more difficult to navigate, for me anyway. All right. So verse 7. All right. Active faith. Uh, it's a good question. Let's see if we can figure out, is there anything in the text that would help us? Um, my, before, I, before we read this, my inclination is to think that God allowed Samuel to come up and talk to Saul. That's my inclination. Um, some might find a problem with that because you got someone talking to the dead. Uh, but I think that God allowed this. Then Saul said to his servant, find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Now remember, it's against the law. To go to a woman like this. So Saul disguised himself, put on other clothes, and he went to the woman with him. Two, and two men went with him. And they came to the woman by night and said, please con conduct a seance for us and bring up for me the one that I shall tell you, that I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done and how he has cut off mediums and spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life and cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment will come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said, 
to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. I think that spirit is, is uh, the word Elohim, which brings a whole other controversy on this passage um, on, for what exactly Elohim means. And he said to her, what is this form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle. Now, right there, I don't like that for the afterlife because if he died as an old man and an old man's coming up with a mantle, which is a robe, um, then he hasn't got a new updated body or it looks like his old body, huh? You know, I always think that we're going to kind of come back to our, to our perfect form. Um, anyway, this is, this would be the holding place, the grave, Sheol, um, after Jesus was crucified, we're now in the presence of God when we die and have probably received a body, a temporary home, Paul puts it. And uh, Saul perceived that it was Samuel and he um, stopped, stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore neither by prophet nor by dreams. Therefore, I called for you that you may reveal to me what I should do. We should point out by this time too that Samuel is dead. Then Samuel said, <clears throat> so why do you ask me? Seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy. Notice became your enemy. We had talked about that before, how the word for hatred and enemy, the Old Testament are the same. And Saul had become an enemy of God. God didn't hate Saul in the beginning, but he had become an enemy didn't mean that God didn't love Saul at this point, but that Saul had become an enemy. And the Lord has done for himself as he has spoken by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon, the, uh, upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done these things to you. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver you, deliver Israel into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons uh, will be with me, meaning the grave, and the Lord will deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell uh, full length on the ground and was deadly afraid because of the word of Samuel and there was no strength in him. Um, these prophecies of Samuel also came true. And so I'm gonna say active faith. Uh, I think this is, but, and I, how confident is that? Does that sound? I think this is Saul. Samuel coming up from the dead to speak to Saul. And um, I don't see any real problems with that. I think some people do, but I don't see any real problems with it. Okay, so we have a question from Jari. Jari says, if angels and demons are over cities and nations, then is it true when we pray or vote, something happens, we fight against flesh and blood, but principalities, is this how we restrain? Okay, thanks, Jari, for, for your question. Um, I think that voting and political actions are part of what we do in the world. It's part of our worldly, what we do here. And we have a dual citizenship in a way, but our main citizenship is in heaven. And we do things like vote here because I care deeply about certain topics like the life of the unborn is the main one for, for me right now. And so I, I, I have a certain way that I will vote, but I don't think that that is spiritual warfare. I think that spiritual warfare is going to be 
Um, when I'm praying about these things, I'm, I'm calling out upon God. I'm asking God to bind the enemy. I'm asking the stronger than the strong man to bind the enemy. Um, I'm, I've got my armor on. I'm standing. I'm praying. I'm pers persevering in prayer. I'm not quitting in the battle. I'm not growing weary and going, man, I'm just tired of this whole thing with abortion, so I'm just going to let it go. It's changed fronts now. You know, it's more of a pill than anything else. I'm going to let it go. No, you keep fighting. You keep pursuing. I think that's the spiritual battle. Um, as far as demons being over cities and, 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 and countries, all of that is very vague. We don't have a lot of clarity on it. So God, I, the secret things belong to God. The revealed things belong to us. God has let us know a little bit about it, Jari, but not a lot. All right. So thank you very much for your question. I do appreciate that. Um, I think spiritual warfare falls upon some other lines. And I think, you know, there are times when you identify that something going on in someone's life is spiritual warfare. And so you persevere in prayer. You ask God to bind the enemy and you continue to do it and you keep battling for the soul of this individual. You don't give up. You keep on it. You keep on it. Like the, the, the persistent widow with the, with the unjust judge or like the annoyed neighbor. You just keep on it. God, just keep doing this. Keep doing this Be, and persevere. That's, that's spiritual warfare. And you, you keep in the battle until you win. You don't keep in the battle until you're tired of it right? That's not how warfare works. So fact check these hands has a follow-up. Uh, from the last video, oh, is this the one we've already done? You know, I think they're showing up twice. Um, all right, maybe not. Oh, uh, yeah, I think it is. Uh, used to say the people who, all right, yeah. So that's interesting. It looks like I'm getting some questions twice. I'll have to check them before I bring them up. Um, by the way, I discovered what my um, what my video what what the noise was on the the video last week. I'm going to see if I can duplicate this for you. So I don't think I'm going to be able to hear this, but I think that you guys will. So it's kind of like a, a record scratching, like a DJ. Hey, this is Robert Furrow, Truth Quest Podcast. You know, got like yeah, great question, Jari. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, really? A question about the millennium again? All right, so so somehow I had that slider up so that those noises could be made, and one of them was making it on its own without me pressing a button. So I've got the slider down, and I don't generally use those anyway, although they could be kind of fun, especially for every question we get of the millennium, we play that. Um, and you guys are like, what do you got against questions with the millennium? I'm tired of answering them. Um, Empress Kimberly says, what do you think is going on in Matthew 27, 51 through 53? Final um, family members must have freaked out. Okay, so this, I think, is going to be um, the souls of those who are dead, right? Walking around. Is that right? We have dead people. People were seeing dead people. Matthew 27, um, 51 through 53. And you're going to take a look at this. Yeah, that's what it is. So thank you, Kimberly, for your question. By the way, when I take your question down, I can still see your question, all right? So let me go ahead and put this up here. So it says, um, 
Then Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yelled up a spirit. Then behold, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now that happened right away. He died on the cross. The veil was torn. We now have access into the presence of God. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split. So there was an earthquake while he was on the cross. And graves were opened. And many bodies of saints who had fallen asleep were raised, coming up out of the grave after his resurrection. So not when he died on the cross. We seem to kind of get this, this section kind of mixed up a little bit where we think he died on the cross and people came out of the graves and what people must have been thinking. But it's after his resurrection. So the Bible tells us that he who ascended first descended and led a host of captives captive. And so he brought people up into the presence of God. And it seems that along the way he allowed some of them to be in Jerusalem and to be seen and coming out of the graves after his resurrection went into the holy city and appeared to many so he allows these people that have been set free now from the grave who are no longer in the in abraham's comfort but now are going to be in the presence of god to be seen and they're seen around jerusalem and some people are seeing dead people and they must have been freaking out i do quite think you're you're quite right you know yeah they must have been freaked out um or incredibly moved, right? I mean, it depends on what kind of encounters these were. Can you imagine someone coming out of the grave whom you love and being able to see them and talk to them? We don't know exactly what these kind of encounters these were. Or did they just see him walking by? That would freak you out, right? But if all of a sudden something about what Jesus did and coming up out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the city and appeared to many. So when it's a centurion and those who were with him were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that happened to him, feared greatly saying, truly this was the son of man, which is by John Wayne, because John Wayne in the greatest story ever told was the one who said that. All right, so thank you very much, uh, Empress Kimberly. Um, yeah, I do think they are freaked out, but it was after the resurrection, not after the death on the cross. It was once he was resurrected. It's like he took everybody up into heaven when he had descended, took everybody that was in the grave who was a Christian because they were saved on credit. Seems they couldn't go up to be with God, so they were held in a place of comfort. And um, and, uh, and 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 some stopped by Jerusalem and saw people, and their graves had been split open. So, yeah, wild. Um, Jari John MacArthur, why he believes um, if you take the mark of the beast you can be saved. Wow, I, I didn't know that John MacArthur believes that. Um, here's what I found out about, about Johnny Mac, is that um, he's really good on some portions of Scripture, and another portion of Scriptures he's not so good, that there may be some biases that are there, and um, there's, there's theological biases that are there, where he will handle one section of scripture really good and another one not so well. Now, I don't know. I mean, I've never heard him say that he doesn't, he believes someone who takes the mark of the beast can be saved. But um, we're going to be there. We're, we're, we're getting there in Revelation. And we'll be diving into all of those things. And I'll, I'll take a look at what uh, John MacArthur said about it. May, who knows? Maybe there's something to it, right? I mean, John MacArthur has been doing this a lot longer than I have. And um, maybe there's something to it. All right. 
So, um, good afternoon, John P. Good to see you. Uh, and <clears throat> if you have a question, you're joining us for the first time, just write the word question or put a question mark in front of your question, and then write out your question, reread it, make sure it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it, and we'll take time uh, to look over uh, your question. So we have a question from uh, First Mark, and um, are, is, are the first Mark ever, um, and I think this is the first time that the first Mark has been with us. Uh, so, question, I would like to know your thoughts regarding the topic of my question. I enjoy an alcohol beverage or two along with a cigar now and then. Am I sitting or displeasing God? Thanks, uh, First Mark. I can still see your question there. My question for you is, are you a Calvinist? Because Calvinists like to have drinks and smoke cigars. Um, the for a long time in Europe, having a glass of wine, having a couple of beers was not considered to be a sin. I'm talking about like the early 1900s, middle 1950s, 1960s, but in the United States it was. And there were other things that, that Europe saw as being sinful, like caffeine, where the United States didn't. And so you wonder where these things come from. And the real question is, does the Bible ban someone having a drink? The answer to that is no, it doesn't. It has so many warnings about overdrinking. It has warnings about um, not looking at the wine when it swirls in the glass that strong or wine is a, a mocker and, uh, and strong drink is a brawler. Um, alcohol obviously affects people differently, but if we're just going to be honest about the scriptures and what the Bible says, then drinking is not off limits. However, um, there's a lot of warnings, and there are a few things that it says good about alcohol, but there are a lot of warnings. Jesus turned water into wine. And when they had drunk their fill, they tasted and they said, usually people bring the, the worst wine out later. It was good wine that he created. It wasn't grape juice. Um, people say that the wine in the first century was grape juice and that Jesus was ne never drank alcohol. Um, but then why does the Bible say, don't be drunk with wine? If you can't be, if it's grape juice, why would it say, don't be drunk with wine? It doesn't make any sense. And so this would be the responsibility of an adult mature Christian, some choosing to stay away from it completely, others choosing to believe it's okay to have a drink and to have a cigar. Now, cigar is a whole other story. That is completely ungodly. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm thinking of a story where um, D.L. Moody, who lived in the, in the mid 1800s, and so did uh, Charles Spurgeon. And D.L. Moody was feeling inadequate because he never went to Bible college. And he was feeling inadequate and he wanted to go study the Bible. And he went over to Europe. And while he was there, by the way, a revival broke out. He started preaching and a revival broke out, which just shows that God's doing what God's doing. But he went to go meet with Spurgeon. And when he knocked at his door, Spurgeon answered the door with a cigar in his hand. Now, this is how the story goes. And I've heard a few versions of the story, so it may be a bit exaggerated. Um, and, but that, that D.L. Moody stumbled backwards phys physically, like saw the cigar and stumbled backwards and said, how can you, being a man of God, smoke a cigar? Now, Dale Moody was a big guy, 
And uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon is reported as saying, how can you be a Christian and be so fat? And so again, it might show the different things that people have and the different struggles that they have. Now, if we're gonna talk about alcohol, we should talk about making someone stumble. So there are, there, there are people that could hear what I'm saying now, have had a problem with alcohol, and then they go back and they, and they start to drink again. Or people who drink around someone that they know that they have a problem with alcohol. So we always take other people into consideration, always with everything that we're doing and realize that this is a gray area. It may not be a gray area in scripture, but it is a gray area in Christian culture. One of the reasons for that is because of the temperance movement of the early 1900s. Um, and that alcohol was completely, you know, prohibition was completely illegal. And that's why you have evangelical and the way that they look at alcohol compared to the way that other Christians in other parts of the world, genuine Christians in other parts of the world look at it. And um, so, um, yeah, um, and if you, you disagree with this, hey, let's have, a, let's have a discussion. Let's take a look at passages. Where, what, what does the Bible really say about it? The first time I really had a discussion with someone about this and still was believing that that alcohol was completely wrong, uh, a friend of mine who was a pastor said, I, would, I don't want to have a church where I can't invite Jesus to because Jesus drank wine. And we talked about how much alcohol content was in that wine because that's the big argument. There's only 2% alcohol content within it. And um, he did bring up the passage with don't be drunk with wine. And so, and, and, and Jesus was called a, a drunkard and a friend of sinners. So it seems like the wine he was drinking could have gotten drunk. Christ would never have gotten drunk, but he could have with that kind of wine. All right. So again, let's have a discussion about it. Let's bring up the verses. I would love to talk about it. We want the balance, the true scriptural balance of what the Bible says, and we want to follow things according uh, to what the scriptures say. Uh, Paul also told Timothy, uh, take a little wine for your stomach. Maybe the water he was drinking was bad, and so alcohol helped him um, with that. All right, so thank you for your question. Uh, first mark. Um, so we have a question, John P. Good to see you, John. John says, um, Paul said that before we are called home, the Antichrist must be revealed. Um, okay, I'm going to argue with you, John, that doesn't say that, all right? Is it possible we will recognize him before the world, possibly be persecuted by his urging of the world? All right, let's go to the passage. So this passage is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want to start in verse 1, and we're going to read what's happening here, okay? John, so thank you. And remember, I can still see, I got a, a couple people who are saying, you you took my thing down, you didn't answer my question. I can still see it. I'm, I'm looking through it to answer it, okay? Um, so let me put this up on the screen. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that's his return, and our gathering together to him. So that's the resurrection rapture, okay? Doesn't matter where you put it, mid, pre, post, okay? You've got the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to him. 
We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or word or letter, as if though from us, as though the day of the Lord had come. So somebody had told them, wrote a letter to them, maybe pretending it was Paul. See, a letter from us, he said, but the day of the Lord had come. They thought they were in the tribulation period. I, I get that all the time. I get people who post comments who say, we're in the tribulation period right now. And it's kind of like, where's the Antichrist then? And I'll show you why that's my answer to that. Where's the, who's the Antichrist? If we're living in the tribulation period, who's the Antichrist? And I'll show you why that's the case here in a moment. So he says, let no one deceive you by any means for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now that falling away is debated. Some believe that that word apostasy is a reference to the rapture, that the, the falling away, the, the apostasia, they're being taken away. Others believe it's at the end of, there, that there's a lot of those who walk away from Christ at the end of time, that just before Jesus returns, there's this great falling away and a lot of people turning away from their faith. And we're seeing that today. We're seeing a lot of people moving over into progressive Christianity, emergent Christianity turned into progressive Christianity. A lot of people talking about following your heart rather than following the Bible. So we're seeing that. So it says, unless that falling away comes first. The only thing in this passage that has to happen first is the falling away. Unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. So you are not in the tribulation period because the falling away hasn't happened first and the man of sin hasn't been revealed. He doesn't need to be revealed first. That's not the way it's structured. He needs to be revealed once the tribulation period starts. So in the book of Revelation, when the lamb takes the scroll and peels back the first seal, the white horse rides forward with a withering crown and a bow in his hand and he's, a, he's given power to conquer. That's the Antichrist. So the first thing that happens in the very beginning of the tribulation period is the Antichrist comes on the scene. He's revealed. Then he goes on to give us the son of perdition who opposes himself, exalts himself above all that is called God. So we are not, John, looking for the Antichrist. We are looking for Christ. Jesus said, when you see all these things about to happen, look up for your redemption draws near. So we are looking for Jesus, not the Antichrist. I, I could care less who the Antichrist is. If I'm here when the Antichrist is revealed, then I know that I'm in trouble. But the Antichrist is not going to be revealed before. He will be revealed at the very beginning of it. Now maybe there'll be some good guesses, but I'm not interested in trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. All right. John, so thank you very much. Uh, you can give me a follow-up on that, by the way, if you would like to. I know a lot of times people have read that passage that way so often that the first time you tell them the only thing that happens first there is the falling away, it takes a reading it a couple times to go, oh yeah, that, that is the way that it's said. Because so many people have said, the Antichrist has got to come first. That They read that and say he's got to come first and then the tribulation when it's just not true. So we have a question um, from Rod. Rod, good to see you. Good to have you here with us today. Um, what about backsliders at the rapture who don't reject, who didn't reject Christ? Are they like the virgins without oil? Yeah, that's a really good question. And a really good question in the sense that it's a really hard question to answer. Rod, oftentimes your questions are really hard to answer. Um, they're, just, they're just thought out well. Um, uh, is oil saving faith? That's the question. You got to go back to the, the 
the parable of the ten virgins. And is the oil saving faith or is the oil on fire faith? If it's sold out on fire faith, then those who don't have sold out on fire faith are left behind and they're going to have to go through the tribulation period. Uh, if And this would be some kind of partial rapture where uh, lukewarm Christians get left behind, but on fire Christians get taken to be with Jesus. Or is the oil in the lamp the Holy Spirit that you get at salvation? And I'm going to say that I'm going to have to, I'm going to lean that way. I think the oil represents the Holy Spirit. We get the Holy Spirit the day that we are saved. Um, you can have a demonic faith. You can look saved but not really be following Christ. And that was the five virgin, virgins. Looked like they were waiting for him, but they didn't have oil in their lamps. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. So they weren't genuinely saved. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So not everybody who calls out, who says, Lord, Lord, is going to be saved. He'll say, away from me, for I never knew you. But Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles? Away from me, I never knew you. So I think the oil is saving faith. And, um, you know, I might need to go and, and reread the parable a little bit more, but I don't, I don't think that there's going to be anything in there that's going to make us think that it's anything else besides saving faith. All right. So thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Um, it's good to see you guys. Just good to see your interaction, your encouragement of one another. I love that. Um, let's see, Pokey, do we have a question from you already? I think we did. Um, let me just go down here a little bit, see if we've got another question. We've got just a few minutes left. If we don't have another question, I'll come back up and get that second one um, by, by Pokey. And if you haven't asked a question, Pokey, if that was last time, I'm sorry. I made that mistake. Um, there's... Um, Um, all right, let me bring this in here. This is Pokey. Um, I don't know if this is the question I just went by. Um, uh, of recent, as Jack Hibbs just spoke about principle 16, stated sexual conduct involving persons below the, below the demonstrated prescribable minimum age of consent to sex may be consensual. Y your take. Ah, um, my take is there's so much that's said out there and that's sensationalized that I don't know what's true or not. I don't know. Look, if, if we knew for years what's inside of bills that are being voted on or that are being pushed through that have minimal support, we could freak out. We could talk about a lot of things that are trying to be done by our government but they're never going to pass. There's bills that are brought every single year that are never going to pass because the, 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 there's just not a majority. They're thought, and it's the, these are fringe ideas. And so, um, is, this, is this a bill? What is it? Is it something that's just sensational? You know, that it gets, it gets clicks? So, you're going to talk about it? I don't know. I would need to know more information about this. If this is a if this is a bill on the Senate floor or the Congress that 
is trying to say that someone that has sexual conduct with a minor, if it is consensual, it's okay, then obviously it's a hideous bill. And it's a bill making pedophile legal. And it's, it's hideous. All right? So, um, that would be my take on it. Now, is there a bill saying that? And does it have a chance of passing? I, I, that I don't know. And like I said, I hear a lot of these things and I'm skeptical of them because they're a lot of times just like clickbait. And a lot of times I know that they are, and, and sometimes they're even, they're even false. They're, they're brought up on, um, famously on Facebook. will bring things up that just aren't true. And everybody gets worked up about it and then you find out later on, oh, it was never true. Because people can say anything without there being any documentation. So the, the documentation should be straightforward. This is where it's at. This is where it's coming from. This is the kind of support the bill has. And then if it looks like it's going to pass, we can really freak out and call the proper people that need to be called and, and really try to, to stand against it. All right. So that's just kind of where I stand on that. That's my, been my experiences. Okay. And um, I just don't like to hear sensational stories that don't have any grounding in them. And I'm, you know, maybe I'm wrong about this story. Maybe this story does have some kind of grounding in it. So um, Vivian R says, Pastor, uh, if we Christians are judged on our motives, how will we be judged if we have an angel on our shoulder and a devil on the other? Feels like there's a battle to do with what I want versus what God wants. Yeah, Vivian, and, and um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this in another form. Um, rather than an angel and a demon telling you what the right and wrong thing to do, the Bible says that our spirit battles against our flesh and our flesh battles against the spirit. Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the very things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I end up doing, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Now, did Paul say that before or after he was saved? Was he under the law or not? Regardless, in Galatians, he's talking about the battle that happens inside of a Christian. That there's a desire in us to do what's right and a desire to do what's wrong. And they are constantly battling with one another. This is part of what the Christian life is. We have this battle taking place. And I wish we didn't have it. I wish we wouldn't struggle with it. But we're going to have this battle going on until the day that we, we die. And then we're in the presence of God. And a Christian who says... I don't have that battle. I just walk in the spirit and I don't, uh, and, and by the way, anybody would do it, would say it just like that. I don't have that problem. I, 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 don't, I don't have a battle with my flesh. Well, you know, you have a problem with lying and you're lying to us right now. Probably a problem with pride and probably a problem with false spirituality because the Bible says that we struggle against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. So we don't do the things that we want. And that's why 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And every Christian has to walk in a certain amount of God's grace because you're going to fail. And we want to do what he wants us to do. And that is part of that proving that we are genuinely saved. But we do need to find ourselves needing to come back and being asked, and asked for forgiveness. So Vivian says, Pastor, if we Christians are judged by our motives, uh, and I think we're judged by our works, um, and our motives come into play, 
So, yeah, I, I, I can think of a lot. I can just think, I can think of, you know, any, any sin that is out there, that there could be motives that could be better than other motives. And God's going to judge things by their motives. How can we judge if we have an angel on one shoulder? Or, or now the spirit and the flesh battling with another feels like I'm in a battle. Um, do what I want versus what God wants. And that's just that battle that's inside of you. It's, you're not, it's not unique to you, Vivian. It, uh, it's, we're all in that same battle together. And um, that's why we put our mind on spiritual things. That's why we seek God. That's why we walk with him. We pray without ceasing. Uh, that's why we do the spiritual battle. Um, Peter was told to pray lest you enter into temptation. So prayer has an effect on temptation. I would like to battle sin on the temptation, not be tempted by it. I'd like to stop the temptation instead of just trying to battle the sin. Pray that you don't enter into temptation. So when you know that there's a certain temptation, you're praying to God so that the temptation will be gone. This was when Peter was going to be tempted to deny Christ. Jesus said, pray lest you enter into temptation. So there's a few other really key passages in the Bible about how to overcome temptation and, and walk with Christ and, you know, being delighting in the Lord. So you receive the desire of your heart. If you delight in the world, you're going to desire the things of the world. You delight in the Lord, you're going to del um, um, delight in the things of the Lord. And so there are certain things that we do today that help us as we walk tomorrow. We sow to the flesh, from the flesh we reap corruption, from the spirit uh, we reap life. So it is good to see you guys. Um, John P., let me just bring in your follow-up question here, then I got to go. We've got a service in uh, less than an hour now um, on uh, rebuilding the temple, the third temple. And um, there's people in the Knesset today, I think there's about 10 of them that want to rebuild the temple. They want to actually pass a law to rebuild the temple. We're going to be talking about that tonight in Revelation chapter 11. I'm going to cover two verses, 11, 1, and 2. So John P. says, follow-up, thank you for clear. Oh, ah. okay, thank you for clarifying. I have no wish to even a glimpse of him. I think they, what threw me off was uh, the comma rather than a period after the falling away and before the man of sin. Yeah, yes, and I can, I, and I can understand that. I can see how people would want to read it. Um, that time will not come unless the falling away comes first and also the man of sin. So the, how they would want to add the sentence in so it would read that way. So, the, and the man of sin would also have to come first. I can understand that. Besides that, there's all kinds of people that teach it. So, you, you may have heard it. You may have heard it from a pastor who read it, and then when two things have to happen first, and then they do that, and they just need to be challenged on it. And this is the beauty, and I've been talking about this lately, but this is the beauty of the information age that we live in. We're going to be called on our poor, um, our poor exegesis. We're going to be called out on it. You're in a sermon, you say something that isn't right, you're gonna get called out on it. And quite frankly, I love it. I, I love it. I love that if I say something and what I say is wrong, that somebody could come back and go, you said this, but that's not true. And that there are people that are calling us on the carpet. It's only going to make better preachers who are going to bring better arguments for what they're doing. So it's a good thing to be living in the day and age that we can and really dive in and go, hey, I heard that. I'm, I'm going to be a Berean. I'm going to receive that with joy, but I'm going to see whether or not these things are really true. 
All right, so thanks a lot, John, and good to see you all. I got to take off. Um, got to service, like I said, in about an hour, Book of Revelation, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Uh, we'll see some of you guys there. I'll see some of you guys online. Um, love you. Stay close to Jesus. Walk in the Spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Abide in the vine, and you will receive the things you ask for, and you'll bear fruit, because he who abides in the vine bears fruit. Delight in the Lord, who give you the desires of your heart, and um, uh, take on that battle, flesh against the Spirit. Let the Spirit win, all right? God bless you guys. Stand strong for Jesus. Be bold for Christ. Uh, we will see you later on. I am out.